Hello and welcome to this message from the river. We hope that this message from Pastor Billy Pate inspires and challenges you towards a greater relationship with Jesus Christ. Now let's join Pastor Billy Pate for another exciting message. You say come to the river. I think the moral of the story is we need to be careful about forfeiting rights that we don't want to give up. You know, uh, he has a great speech going. He has me sitting on the edge of my chair. I'm ready to fight for him. And then he pulls out the contract that he signed all of his rights away. And it's true that we do the same thing many times in our lives. We may not necessarily sign a contract that forfeits our rights, but we forfeit them in a number of different ways. And I want us to go to a story today that correlates with uh, just the, such a story that we find uh, here watching on this video. In Genesis chapter 25 and 24, Rebecca and Isaac are about to have uh, a couple of boys. And uh, we pick it up in verse 24, and this is what it reads. It says, So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, and he was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she, when she bore them, speaking of Rebekah. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, Swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Would you help me pray this morning? Father, thank you so much for the blessings that you have poured into our lives. Thank you for the rights that we have as your children, God. These are unalienable rights. These are rights that exist beyond anybody's opinion. Father, and we so many times, although no one can take them from us, we forfeit them, we give them up, we release them into the hands of the very enemy that's trying to rob from us, Lord. He's come to kill, steal, and destroy, but you've come that we may have life and have it to the full. Father, I pray your anointing upon this message. I pray, Lord, that it would move the hearts of your people, God, that it would impart something that would produce fruit in our lives, God, and help us to live more in line with what you desire for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's look at verse 27 again. It says, So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter, skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You have the story of two brothers here. One of them is this uh, adventurous, wild man who goes out and he's hunting. He's always trapping. He's always doing these different things. He's bringing back food to his father. He is a man after his father's own heart. And you have this other brother who's more of a mild man. He's not a wild man, he's a mild man. He's sitting at home, he's dwelling with tents. Instead of out hunting, he's knitting little booties. Instead of, <laughs> instead of, instead of sharpening his axe, he's helping mama cook some stew. He's doing those kinds of things. 
You have this huge gap between these two boys. Even though they're twins, they are totally different people. Esau's a daddy's boy, and Jacob is a mama's boy. Sibling rivalry is alive and well in the home of Isaac between these two brothers. They're just different people. They don't jive. They don't, they don't necessarily connect. There's just a lot of differences between them. They may have been identical in the sense of the way their faces looked, but they were much different in the way that they lived life and enjoyed life and certainly different in the way that they, 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 they lived. It's clear that there is tension already between Esau and Jacob. The fact that there is tension doesn't really, it really doesn't matter. And why is that? You know, why is it that even though there's tension and all this stuff going on in the home, it really doesn't affect a lot as far as Esau's life is concerned? You understand today that not everybody has to like everything that you do. Some of you don't believe that. Some of you you struggle with such uh, needs of affirmation and approval from everyone that you can't even fathom what I just said to you. But not everybody has to like what you do. Esau is already firstborn. He already sits in a place of prominence in his home. It does not matter if Jacob likes him or not. Now, it's his brother. And obviously, we want to get along with our family. Some of us do. Some of you may have some family that you think... "Eh." But it doesn't really matter that there's tension in the home. Why? Because here's the first point I want to make to you. Because the father already favors you. Esau already carried with him the favor of the father. The Bible tells us that the father loved him because he ate of his game. He would go out and hunt. He would get a deer. He would get some wild hog and he would bring it home. He would cook it up for his dad and his dad loved that about him. He loved to hear the story of how he was able to bring down this game. He loved to hear the story of how he came within an inch of losing his life but somehow he was able to survive the situation and come back as a victor carrying with him the spoils of his adventure. His father loved that about him and he carried all this favor with the father. When you think about the story of Isaac and Jacob, we always see it in the sense that God's providential goals and God's providential plan ultimately played out and that's true and you can't negate that. You can't push that aside. But the fact is it's a tragic story. It's a tragedy Because Esau was already in the right place. He already carried with him the father's favor in his life. And because of a moment of weakness, he decided to forfeit it and give it away. In a moment of weakness, he decided that the father's favor wasn't as important as something he wanted in a moment of weakness and weariness. And he gives it up. I want you to understand something this morning. That you don't have to work to gain the favor of your father. You don't have to do anything to get God's approval in your life because God loves you just like you are. You're already placed in a place of stature with him. You already sit in a place of prominence with him. You already carry with you his his approval and his affirmation and his favor upon your life. You already have it and you don't have to do anything to gain it. You have to do something, however, not to lose it. In the sense of so many times we forfeit the things that God has already given us. We need to understand that God is on your side. God is on our side. 
He wants the best for you and he's working to get you the very best. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. He loved Esau because of the offering his daring and adventure produced. He loved Esau, let me say it again, because of the offering that his daring and his adventure produced. Do you know that God loves you because of the daring and adventure of your life, what it produces for him? He loves you because he sees your life played out before him. And when you make those right choices and you do the things that really speak of your devotion to him, he is moved by that and he loves that. And that is your living sacrifice that you offer to your Lord. Esau is out there, he's taking risks, he's living on the edge. He's bringing an offering to his father as a result of that. Jacob is living in the safety of his tents. Esau's out on the edge, he's out in the wilderness. He's he's living life to the full. He's embracing everything that's before him. He's not confined to a certain set of boundaries and limitations. Jacob just lives in the tent. He's safe in the tent. There's no risk involved in living in the tent. He's got a number of people around him that will protect him. He's got everything that he has need of right there at his disposal. But Esau's out there and he's taking some risk. He's living on the edge. He's doing some things that are different. God wants us to be a people that will take some risks from time to time. God wants us to be a people that will go out and go after some things that are out there for us. Something that requires us to rely and trust in Him. He doesn't want us to live in just tents and dwell in the safety of our tents and only see ourselves in light of what we can make ourselves comfortable with. This whole book that we've been reading, The Circle Maker, has has moved us in so many ways. And, And one of the things that just has been an undercurring theme throughout the entire book is that we have to be willing to take some risks and trust in God to do something great. Big moves move God. Big moves move the heart of our God and and stir Him. And He wants to see us in a place where we must rely completely on Him. Place yourself in the text for a moment. You know, I think it's so critical when you're studying the Word of God that you, you gain the skill and the ability to place yourself in the text and build the context around your life and where you're at. You are Esau in the text. You already have the favor of God, but you have an enemy who is Jacob and he's looking for every way that he can steal from you and take the things that are rightfully yours. You have certain rights as a child of God. You have certain things that God has promised you. Among them are life. I want you to have life and have it to the full. Liberty, he don't want you to be entangled again with sin. And happiness, joy, these are things that are promised to you. These are things that are your rights as his child. But the enemy is setting over to the side and he's looking for every way that he can get you to forfeit those things that are rightfully yours. Put yourself in the text. You already carry with you the favor of the Father and he wants to see you pursuing the things that you desire. Because it's in the pursuit that we are able to offer him a sacrifice of praise. It's in the pursuit of life. It's in the pursuit of Him. It's in the pursuit of the things that He has placed in our hearts. It's in that pursuit that God is stirred and it's in that pursuit that we are able to offer Him a sacrifice of praise. It's not in the standing still. It's not in the lack of 
development. It's not in the lack of growth. It's not in just remaining status quo, but it's in offering Him your life in the pursuit. The way you handle adversarial situations, the way that you deal with circumstances, the way you face a difficulty in your life. These things have the opportunity of presenting to your God an offering and a sacrifice of praise. Your enemy is always looking for ways to undermine that process and steal from you what is rightfully yours. But here's what I want you to know. If the Father already favors us, if, the all, if we already have favor of the Father resting on our, us, our only job is not to allow the enemy to come in and entice us to do something that will forfeit the favor we are living with. And I want you to know today that he is a master of this very tactic. He is a master at selling you a bill of goods that have no value. He is a master at getting you to trade for him Trade with him things that have priceless value and priceless worth for things that are fleeting and worthless and end up being nothing but destruction and despair. He has a way of painting a picture. He is the best used car salesman that ever lived on the planet in the universe. He can sell you a lemon and make you like it. And if you're not conscious of that and you're not leery of him and you're not on guard and watching that, you'll find yourself buying a bill of goods that has no value and no worth to you. Let's read on. Verse 29. Now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary and Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, Look, I am about to die. So what is this birthright to me? He comes in, he's hungry, he's been out in the field. Obviously this was an unsuccessful trip in the wilderness. He's not gotten any game, he's hungry. He struggles into home, he's tired. He's been out there doing what he's doing and it's not worked out and so now he comes home and he is starving to death. And here Jacob is, already set up. He's got hot stew in the bowl and he's just primed and ready. The enemy is so good at catching you in moments of weakness. He'll have the pot of stew ready and popping hot for you when you come in from your weary day's pursuits. He waits, he never He never entices you when you come back off a victory. He doesn't ask Esau to forfeit his birthright when he's come back with a big old elk. He doesn't ask him to forfeit his birthright when he comes back full and excited about an adventure that he's taken. He comes and he waits till he's falling on the brink of failure. When he's at his moment of despair and he's got it all set up for you. And he says, hey, all you got to do is just come in. And have a bowl of soup. That's all I'm asking. He's very good at enticing us and pulling us away. He asked asked Esau, give me your birthright for this bowl of soup. What is the birthright? For those of you who may not know, just let me explain that for just a moment. The birthright is the portion of the inheritance that was Esau's that he was privileged to receive as the firstborn son. As, As the firstborn son of the family... He is entitled to a double portion of the inheritance. And so if you have four kids, the inheritance is divided into five parts and the oldest son gets two of those parts. So he always gets twice as much as all the other sons get. And so this is what the birthright is. What is your birthright this morning? 
What is your birthright as a child of God? Your birthright is the inheritance you are entitled to when you are born again in the kingdom of God. Romans 8.15 talks about that a little bit. It says this. It says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You are entitled to the kingdom. You have the disposal of the kingdom, or you have the kingdom at your disposal. You have the blessings and the riches of the king of of grace and the king of kings at your disposal. As his child, you have that right, and that is your birthright. The enemy wants you to forfeit those things. And so here's my second point this morning is that you have something to lose. You have something to lose. Esau says, in a moment of weakness, he says, What is this birthright to me? Because I'm about to die. He's really saying, what's it going to matter? I mean, I've got nothing to lose at this point. I'm about to die anyway, so what is my birthright to me? Listen, you have something to lose. The enemy is very good at convincing you that you have nothing to lose. But the fact is, you have everything to lose and nothing to gain by falling in his traps and into his tactics. The craftiness of sin in our enemy is that he will convince you that you have nothing to lose but so much to gain. And the fact is you have everything to lose and nothing to gain by following after him. What would make Jacob, the question that must be asked in this text as we read it, is what would make Jacob think that Esau's birthright was even on the table? Why would Jacob even think that Esau's birthright was available. You know, you don't see a lot of arguing in the text. You don't see any arguing in the text. You don't see any of this kind of subtle approach to this. What you see is Jacob just simply straight out, without any fear or without any trepidation, say to Esau, I'll trade you soup for your birthright. What that says to me is that for a while, this has probably been an ongoing conversation between the two. For a while, the enemy Jacob in our text here has been working on Esau and he's been wearing him down and he's been working him over day in and day out trying to get him to give up what was rightfully his. How does that apply to me? I'll tell you how it applies. Because the enemy does the same thing with us. He never comes straight at you. He never gets you in your strongest point and just comes straight at you and says, hey, how would you like to do this? Why don't you give up your right as a child of God? Why don't you forfeit your relationship with Jesus Christ and do this? He wears you down over time. He begins little by little to get you to compromise, to get you to have a bad attitude, or to get you to do this or that. And before long, he's got you right where he wants you. You fall in a moment of weakness and you fail and you give in to him. The enemy rarely convinces you to take a deal that he is offering in a single moment. Rather, he wears us out over time. He breaks down our strength little by little and he entices us little by little at a time until the moment he has broken us down enough to get us to take the offer on the table. And so the third thing I want you to get today is that if you have something to lose, don't let weariness and frustration make decisions for you. If you already carry the favor of God on your life and you actually have something to lose 
My salvation means more to me than this single moment of gratification. I have something to lose. This, my salvation means more to me than forfeiting my future for a moment need. If I have something to lose, then I can't let weariness and frustration make decisions for me. Over and over in the Bible, we see that trouble ensues when decisions are made in moments of weakness. There's nothing good that comes from decisions being made in moments of weakness. And we all find ourselves in moments of weakness. There's not a person in this place that doesn't find yourself in a moment where you are weak and you are vulnerable and you are an easy target for the enemy. And it's in those moments we need to recognize that and guard ourselves. Guard ourselves. Surround us with the presence of God. Put people around us that can help us and strengthen us and guard us. Genesis 25 and 29, Esau came in from the field. He was weary, the Bible tells us. He's tired from his journey. He's tired from his brother's constant badgering. And this is the perfect opportunity for Jacob to get what he wants. When the enemy finds you tired from your journey and he has been able to wear you down, he knows that this is the perfect opportunity to get what he wants from you. I think about a story in the Bible that is so true to this, this, this story of Jacob and Esau, and that is when Moses, he's been leading the people for so long and he's so tired. He's been trying to deal with all of their quirks and all of their issues and, and their constant nagging and constant, uh, you know, just we need this and we don't have this and it was better when we were in Egypt and all this stuff that goes on and on for years and years and years. And they're complaining again about not having anything to drink. And God speaks to him and he says, speak to the rock. Normally what Moses would do is he'd take the rod that God had given him and he would strike the rock and water would come out. But in this particular moment, God says, speak to the rock. Don't strike the rock, speak to the rock. And Moses goes up to the rock and he has this weight of all these people's nagging and complaining and griping and being displeased and all this frustration is just weighing on his back. And instead of doing what God tells him to do, he takes that rod and he strikes that rock out of anger. And in that moment, what does he do? Yeah, he may feel a little bit better about his frustration. But God says to him, because you struck the rock and you did not speak to the rock, you're not going into the promised land. What's it worth to us when we make moments of decisions and moments of weakness and weariness? What are we willing to forfeit just so that we have some control over that moment? Moses was in complete control of that moment. But that's really the problem, isn't it? Moments of weariness and moments of weakness, a lot of times we feel out of control by those. We feel like we have lost our grasp of what's going on around us and we want to make decisions based on that grabbing back of control and putting ourselves back in the driver's seat and when we do that, we get ourselves in so much trouble. We cannot make lifelong decisions, impacting decisions based out of weariness and frustration because they're always the wrong decisions. Moses strikes the rock and he makes a decision out of frustration. And those decisions out of frustration and weariness are always disastrous. They never lead to any good thing. Verse 33, Then Jacob said, Swear to me of this day, 
So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Point number four is this. Don't let a moment mean more to you than your future. Don't let a moment mean more to you than your future. When a moment means more to me than my future, I've lost perspective. Moses lost perspective. In a moment of weakness and weariness, he lost perspective. He forfeited the goal that he had for a moment of exerting control and establishing himself and, or maybe making himself feel better. We all have the tendency to do that. When my kids are wearing me out and they are just grating on my nerves, you know what I'm talking about. You don't want to turn and in a moment of frustration say something or do something that is a rash act towards them because then why? You have to either go back and apologize for it and sometimes you say things in those moments that you can't get back. Let me say that again. You say some things in those moments that you can't get back. If you call someone a name or you say something over their lives, sometimes you can't get that back. Sometimes those things are so embedded in their minds that no matter how much you apologize, no matter how much you try to fix it, you can't get it back. Moses, in a moment of frustration, struck the rock, and what he lost, he could not get back. So we've got to be careful. When we feel ourselves getting to that place, oh, it's important that we come away, right? If we don't come apart, we'll come apart. And so we've got to come apart from the situation so that we don't fall apart at the seams. I cannot let a moment mean more to me than my future. Esau was caught up in a moment of weakness and he forfeited his future in the process. Esau does a couple of things wrong because he does them without thinking about the future impact. And listen, this is important that we develop the ability to think about the future in in those moments. It's important that you think about the future in those moments. That you develop that skill, and it is a skill that must be developed. You can't let emotions drive those moments. And so you've got to develop the skill to push your emotions back and make good decisions when you don't feel like making good decisions. Esau doesn't do that. The first thing he does is he vows in haste. Hasty commitments, vowing in the present with no regards for the future, these are all dangerous propositions. Proverbs 20 and 25 says, An impulsive vow is a trap. Later you'll wish you could get it, get out of it. An impulsive vow is a trap. Later you'll wish you could get out of it. The second thing he does is he curses his own future. Where does he do that, Pastor? Look in verse 32. It says, and Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me anyway? He's saying, this doesn't mean anything to me because this moment is just overshadowing my entire process of thinking. And he's basically cursing the very thing that it is his future. We all have a tendency in moments of frustration and irritation, aggravation, all the Asians, to say things and do things that curse the very future we're working towards. And so we've got to be mindful of our tongue. This tongue is a very hard thing to tame. But we've got to learn to keep it under control because it'll be declaring futures that you don't want and it'll be forfeiting things that you want to keep. And you've got to make sure that you're not doing that in your life. What is this birthright to me? He's saying this doesn't mean anything to me. And here's what I would want you to to apply that to you in this sense, is that if what you have in Jesus Christ doesn't mean much to you, you'll have no problem trading it away to the enemy. If what you have in Jesus Christ doesn't mean that much to you, 
then you've got no problem trading it away to the enemy. There's certain things that I have in my house, they're not really worth anything, but I'm telling you, I'm not trading them for anything. They mean things to me beyond the actual value of the item. I wouldn't trade them for anything. Same way in our Christian life, there's a lot of things that, that, that are valuable to us and we don't want to trade them away in moments of weaknesses, in moments where we're frustrated, in moments where we're trying to give those things or, or just, just to get out of that moment that we're, we find ourselves in. If what we have in Jesus Christ doesn't mean much to us, then we'll have no problem trading it away to the enemy. Pastor, how do you apply that to, to daily life? I, I apply it in this way. Is a moment of gratification worth your salvation? Is a moment of weakness and giving in to the enemy's uh, counterfeits in your life worth the cost of it? Is giving in to sin and, and giving in to my wants and desires worth what it actually costs me as far as my future and my eternity is concerned? Or do I need to put myself in the right perspective and see this moment is just fleeting? It's not going to last and I'm not going to make a decision that impacts my future based on a moment of weakness. Sin is only fun for a season. Hebrews 11.25 says and speaks of enjoying the passing pleasures of sin. These things are only fun for a season of time. Now, I will say to you and I will admit to you, even as a pastor, that they are fun for a season of time. You can get enjoyment out of sin, but it's only for a season of time. There's coming a day when the consequences of that sin will overtake the pleasures of that sin, and you'll find that it wasn't worth what you gave. It wasn't worth what you spent. It wasn't worth what it cost. But I will tell you today, without a shadow of a doubt also, that whatever you sacrifice for the Lord will always be worth it in the end. What you give up for Him will always be worth it in the end. You're not giving Him something that He doesn't turn around and bless you with something better in return with. But the enemy always does that. He'll make you believe that what He's given you is worth more when in fact it never is. So let me ask you this question today. What is a bowl of soup going for these days? What is a bowl of soup going for these days? How much would you give for a bowl of soup this morning? We look at this story and we think, what? None of you would say this because you're holy, but I'm just going to say this. We look at that story and we think, what an idiot. Here he is coming in. He's got his whole household there. I know there had to be some crackers in the pantry. I know there had to be something else in the house. And in a moment of frustration, he sees this stew and the smell and the aroma overtakes him and he forfeits his future for what? A bowl of soup. And it's a bowl of lentils. You know what lentils are? They're peas. Some, most people don't even like peas. And here Jacob is, he's selling it for a bowl of soup. So how much is a bowl of soup worth to you? How much are you willing to pay for a bowl of soup in your life. Genesis 25 and 34 as I close. And Jacob gave Esau bread and stew of lentils. Then he ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Make sure that what you give up is worth what you're gaining. 
Make sure that what you're giving up in your life is worth what you're gaining. When it comes to Christ, whatever you give up for Him, He gives you something better in return. We know that's a fact. But with the enemy, what you give up for Him will always end in His favor. The deal always ends in His favor. It never ends in your favor. Verse 34 goes on to say that Esau ate and drank and arose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. What is the feeling after the moment passes? In the moment, ah, it's not too bad, pretty good. The moment, we're consumed by it. And that's where that whole thought line comes in that it's fun for a season. But let me ask you, what happens after the moment passes? After Esau's belly was full, after he had quenched his thirst, and after he was satisfied from his weariness and his hunger and his moment of weakness, what feelings ensued following that moment? It says that he despised his birthright. I think really what that's saying to us is that he probably regretted his decision. He probably regretted what he had forfeited because when consciousness settles in, when perspective finally comes and you realize that you've just traded uh, two uh, parts of your inheritance, the double portion inheritance, your future as the future patriarch of the family for what, a bowl of soup, you feel some regret from that. And I'll say to you that when the feeling passes and the moment passes, and you arise and you go on your way, that if you have traded for something that is meaningless, then you're going to find yourself being chased down by moments of regret, feelings of regret, and wishing you had done things differently. Would you stand with me today as they, as Jennifer comes and begins to play? Here's what I want you to know today, is that the Father favors you, and because of it, You have something to lose. So don't let weariness and frustration make decisions for you and cause you to forfeit your future in moments of weaknesses. With every head bowed and every eye closed across this place, I'm going to ask our altar workers to come and be prepared to pray for those that come. Let me just ask you today, are you weary and worn? Are you frustrated Are you tired? You feel like the enemy has wore you down in some areas of your life. And you can feel yourself just, you know, just hanging by a thread. And you know that if you get caught in the wrong moment, you could really forfeit some things. I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning. Sometimes, as a pastor, you get tired of dealing with the day-to-day stuff and you get worn. And I know when I get to that place that in a moment I could really forfeit some things. We all do the same things in our lives with our kids, with our marriage, with our job, with our daily walk with Jesus. Don't forfeit it in a moment of weakness because you're tired and frustrated or aggravated. Gain perspective. Let the joy of the Lord be your strength. It's your right. Are you guilty of letting the enemy talk you out of the blessings and the rights you have as his child? If that's you, would you just come and find someone to pray with you in the altars today? 
We hope you have enjoyed and been encouraged by this message. We would love for you to join us at the river on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Sunday school and at 10.30 for morning worship. We also provide our midweek service for all ages on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. If you would like to support the various ministries at the river, please go to our giving tab. We would love for you to visit us at 1110 South Preston Street in Burkrenet, Texas. And as always, we encourage you to come experience life with us at the river. Say, come to the river.